culture to politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. The first day, first full day of the reign of King Charles III. That is the name he has taken uh, as the new monarch of England and the head of the British Commonwealth. Actually, they don't call it the British Commonwealth anymore. It's just known as the Commonwealth. It's still 15 nations. And which are those 15 nations? Some that you wouldn't suspect. It actually increases when you count the separate nations, and in some sense at least, that are on the British Isles that are included, Northern Ireland and Wales and Scotland and, of course, England, which is its own separate realm, uh, dominant realm. Uh, and what does it all mean? Uh, one of the things that is striking to me, and it just made me feel great today, is that uh, one of the most meaningful honors, and I think that Her Majesty the Queen would particularly appreciate, is Ukrainian troops who are advancing on uh, the Russian invaders in the drive to push them out of more Ukrainian-occupied land. Those troops have uh, written messages honoring Queen Elizabeth on their bombs. It makes sense because the British government, under the leadership primarily of Boris Johnson and now continuing under the leadership of Liz Truss, uh, both of them uh, very strong members of the Conservative Party, they have been strong supporters of Ukraine, among uh, the strongest supporters in the world, with more clarity, particularly on the uh, part of the new prime minister, about wanting Ukraine to win than you even hear from Joe Biden. Uh, the uh, messages on the bombs, RIP Queen Elizabeth, uh, the uh, were written in both English and Ukrainian after the Queen's passing. One Ukrainian message said, uh, glory to the Queen. Another just said, Elizabeth. And uh, the images were posted as swiftly advancing Ukrainian troops were bearing down on the main railway supplying Russian forces in the east. The... Um, uh, this is uh, uh, a, a significant matter, it seems to me, and uh, which is the the controversy. And you would not think that when a world figure is beloved and as positive and as noble, truly, as Her Majesty the Queen, when a beloved figure like that passes, how could it be that anybody would be loutish enough, brutish enough, uh, disgusting enough to actually rejoice in her death? Well, an American professor, a, a professor at Carnegie Mellon University, has actually shown us how that can happen. Uh, she has um, actually been reprimanded publicly by her university already, but we will get to exactly what she said, wishing Elizabeth an agonizing death. Uh, we will talk about some of the differences and some of the changing of the guard. I mean, I think it's significant that I just wrote about this. This is part of our newsletter. You can read my brand new column in the newsletter. It's free. Uh, it will be sent right to you. Uh, you can get it at michaelmedved.com. Uh, in addition, we have uh, three movies that are featured with new reviews and excerpts from the films. There are little bits uh, of sound bites that are included in these reviews. 
That's also free from our MedVed newsletter. Just go to michaelmedved.com. One of the makers of uh, one of the films under review, it's a new film uh, called Life Mark, which is uh, produced by and starring uh, Kirk Cameron, who many people know has been one of the most successful faith-based filmmakers in the world recently. He's working with other people with great success in that realm. Uh, the Kendrick brothers. In any event, Kirk Cameron's going to be joining us to talk a little bit about why he feels it's so important to make this film about adoption at this moment. We'll also be speaking later in the show to E.J. Dion, who is a prominent liberal columnist who is writing a column that um, I, I think most conservatives should applaud, which says that, look, it's very important to have partisan politics. Uh, partisanship is not a problem. One party rule or an attempt to uh, try to impose one party rule, that can be a very real problem. One of the things that uh, is coming out about the death of Elizabeth is... Um, there's a huge headline in an oversized piece with multiple portraits of the Queen on the page. It's a piece in the New York Times that says, A woman who embodied the myth of the good monarch. And when I was looking at the paper this morning with my wife, she pointed to this. She said, What do I you mean, the myth of the good monarch? Uh, what's the myth? She was the good monarch. And actually, it's one of those headlines that contradicts what the column actually says, which is very sympathetic and pro-Elizabeth. I'm very glad to report. It's a piece by Sergei Schmemann, who is a member of the editorial board of the New York Times and has worked as a bureau chief in Moscow, Bonn, and Jerusalem, and at the United Nations. And he writes at the very end of his piece that... Uh, there are many people who are questioning whether the institution of the royal family, the institution of a constitutional monarchy, can possibly continue in our rapidly changing world. And he says a lot will depend on younger generations. Chances are they'll keep it going. They refer sometimes in, in Britain to the royal family as the firm. And yes, I do believe they will keep it going, and they should. One of the mysteries of life is that so many children's stories stubbornly focus on kings and queens who are either good rulers, beloved of their people, or if not, supplanted by a good prince or princess. He's right about that. Uh, our first childhood encounter with the notion of government is often that of the good monarch rising above the tawdry mess of politics. Queen Elizabeth, he writes, demonstrated that it need not be fiction. No, not necessarily a myth. There was also a uh, tweet by Andrew Sullivan, which we'll get to before we get to the disgusting tweets by the professor at Carnegie Mellon University. Andrew Sullivan uh, commented, I'm trying to write a column and I find myself in tears. I fear that everything she exemplified, restraint, duty, grace, reticence, persistence, are disappearing from the world. Uh, don't speak 
too soon, Andrew. I don't think that is necessarily the case. It is up to us, people who want to honor her memory, to try to advocate for and stand for precisely those virtues. And yes, they're virtues. Restraint, duty, grace, reticence, persistence. Yes, including persistence on a range of issues. And uh, one of the generational shifts here, Elizabeth was a classic member of the greatest generation. She was born in 1926. She was part of World War II. She is the last World War II veteran. She served in uh, the women's division of the British Armed Forces in the last years of World War II. She wasn't allowed to enlist until she was 18, but as soon as she turned 18, she did enlist, and there are pictures of her in uniform. She is the last World War II veteran who has played a significant role on, and on the world stage. And uh, more than that, she, she also followed a classic World War II pattern. People in the greatest generation gave birth to baby boomers. That was what the baby boom was. People came home from the war. They had been separated. They were reunited. And then, boom, lots of kids. One of them is King Charles, the uh, new king. How is the baby boom classically, irreducibly different from the greatest generation? We will get to that and more on the Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. Michael Medved show. It's fascinating with the stones in the background. They really were the uh, baby boom equivalent of a royal family. I mean, the Beatles even more, but they were cousins. The Rolling Stones were the rowdier cousins. Something I write about in my piece that's in the uh, newsletter today. The piece is called, it's called uh, Elizabeth Charles and the changing of the guard. There's a change of a generational guard here. We are going from the greatest generation, which I think is properly recognized as having done the yeoman's work in uh, defeating Nazism and Japanese militarism and uh, the horrors of Stalinism as well in the years uh, and during, leading up to, during, and immediately after World War II. So it was some of the greatest human struggles ever. And the West and the kind of forces that were represented very strongly by the United States and by our sister English-speaking democracies. It's not just Great Britain, it's also Canada and Australia and uh, New Zealand and other countries that contributed uh, powerfully to the war effort. They did. The, uh, the idea that all of that happened in the greatest generation, and then you went to a generation that wasn't so much uh, known for its sacrifice or its sense of duty, you went from duty to indulgence. You went from the idea of uh, feeling an obligation to do your duty 
to uh, a uh, an exhortation to do your own thing. Elizabeth wasn't about that. Uh, Charles, well, Charles is a baby boomer, and baby boomers are different. And baby boomers tend to believe that, well, there's almost nothing you can say that is so outrageous that people should get upset about it. And uh, Yuju Anya actually tested that theory. She is a professor at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. And uh, she wrote the following tweet uh, yesterday. And uh, it was actually a tweet that was posted very early. And uh, it was posted before the queen had even actually passed. And... Uh, <laughs> Here's what she said exactly. What she had to say was, I heard the chief monarch of a thieving, raping, genocidal empire is finally dying. May her pain be excruciating. Okay, is that, is that really appropriate? Carnegie Mellon University condemned that post and others by Professor Dr. Yuju Anya wishing the queen an excruciating death. Uh, uh, the uh, Twitter took down the tweet for violating its policy, and it has not responded to, uh, basically, requests for comment. But Dr. Anya faced a serious Twitter backlash, reports The Independent over in the UK, for the seeming insensitivity, even from Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, who then came in for criticism himself, but the professor responded by doubling down on the tweet. Quote, if anyone expects me to express anything but disdain for the monarch who supervised a government that sponsored the genocide that massacred and dispatched uh, and displaced half my family and the consequences of which those alive today are still trying to overcome, you can keep wishing upon a star, she tweeted. She also responded to Jeff Bezos, uh, tweeting at him directly, Otora Gaba Gabui G, which roughly translates to an Igbo insult, wishing someone death. May everyone you and your merciless greed have harmed in the world remember you as fondly as I remember my colonizers. Uh, Dr. Anya's employer, Carnegie Mellon University, named after uh, 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 Carnegie, the uh, great philanthropist and creator of the modern steel industry, but someone who built 350 libraries all across the United States because he believed uh, he founded the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. And really somebody who was very determined to give away all of the money that he made for noble projects like uh, promoting peace and promoting literacy and reading. Uh, they said uh, at Carnegie Mellon, we do not condone the offensive and objectionable messages posted by Uku Anya today on her personal social media account. Free expression is core to the mission of higher education. They wrote, however, the views she shared absolutely do not represent the values of the institution, nor the standards of discourse we seek to foster. Anya describes herself on Twitter as anti-racist, of course, and feminist, of course. She was born in Nigeria to a Nigerian father and the mother from uh, Trinidad and Tobago, 
Both countries were colonized by the British. Nigeria became independent in 1960, with Trinidad and Tobago following suit two years later. There was another African professor who actually responded to this, and his name is uh, Joe Abba, and he responded on Twitter, and uh, what he said is colonialism was bad, but as Wangari Matai said, after 62 years since Nigeria's independence, and that's true, you cannot blame colonialism for the lack of investment in education, the lack of power, or the mindless looting of public funds. The Asians have moved past colonialism. Africans, too, should. And this is one of the other aspects of um, uh, what is so extraordinary here about this fury about British colonialism right now is, yes, the British were avid colonizers, but it's very striking that the countries that actually established independence, that decolonized first, were the British countries. And the ones that suffered least from colonialism, where you could even say there was a more serious job done in British colonies as opposed to French colonies or Belgian colonies or German colonies uh, or even Italian colonies. The Italians, of course, colonized in Libya and elsewhere and also in Africa. Uh, they were much harsher and had a much diff more difficult time uh, transitioning to... Uh, some kind of a democratic rule of law society. Uh, there's actually commentary by this, of course, on The View. We will get to it. And why would Cher, who is a, uh, a major world celebrity, a queen of her own kind, why would she send out a tweet where she called Elizabeth, may she rest in peace, a cow? When she actually meant to call her a goat, we will get to that perplexing story and more coming up on The Medved Show. Many people from every corner of the planet have uh, raised to pay tribute to Queen Elizabeth. It's uh, obviously a reflection of the fact that she was a part of our lives, whether we ever lived in Great Britain or lived in any of the Commonwealth countries, because she's also sovereign of the Commonwealth countries. We'll get to more on that coming up. But... Um, the Rolling Stones uh, have sent out uh, a, I, seems to me, classy and appropriate response. They said the Rolling Stones extend their deepest sympathy to the royal family on the death of Her Majesty, in capital H and capital M, uh, Queen Elizabeth II, who was a constant presence in their lives, as in countless others. Well, that's appropriate. Cher also meant to send out a uh, an elegant tribute to the Queen, 
And uh, she wrote on Twitter, am sad about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. I had honor of meeting her. I was in long line of people waiting to meet her. Yet when she got to me, she asked me pertinent questions and seemed genuinely interested in talking to me. She then concluded, I'm proud she was a... And there she put an emoji of a uh, cow. Yeah. If I could turn back time, if I could find a way. Well, she had to turn back her Twitter. She obviously, uh, she said, I'm proud she was a, a, and then the cow emoji, and happy she had a great sense of humor. Uh, I, I don't think she would have had any sense of humor about being called a cow, uh, except she might have realized that uh, Cher, who is not one of the uh, great in intellects of the era, um, mistook the uh, emoji of a cow for the emoji of a goat. And goat as in greatest of all time, G-O-A-T. I mean, that's appropriate. Uh, the um, one apologist on the, uh, uh, on the social media theorized that the emoji was actually meant to be a bull, not a cow, and was a reference to the queen's star sign. Like Cher herself, Elizabeth II was a Taurus, a sign that is represented by a bull. I first read it as cow and thought to myself, I know Cher is not calling the queen a cow, said a social media sleuth. So I thought about it for a second and realized it was the astrological sign Taurus. And then this from Elton John, uh, another class act who has done his own service to uh, serving the realm, uh, the, uh, the nation of Great Britain, the United Kingdom. He says, along with the rest of the nation, I am deeply saddened to hear the news of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth's passing. She was an inspiring presence to be around and led the country through some of our greatest and darkest moments with grace, decency, and a genuine caring warmth. Queen Elizabeth has been a huge part of my life from childhood to this day, and I will miss her dearly. Okay, and, and totally appropriate. Now, then you have the view. Uh, <laughs> where the political correctness is inescapable. This was the uh, comment uh, by Sonny Hostin, who also provided some crucial advice for King Charles. Listen. If you really think about what the monarchy um, was built on, it was built on the backs of black and brown people. She wore a crown with pillaged stones from India and Africa. And now what you're seeing, at least in the black communities that I'm a part of, um, they want reparations. You know, Barbados left, uh, left, the, uh, left the sort of this, this monarchy, this colonization. Yeah. Um, Jamaica, I'm, I have a lot of Jamaican friends, that's coming soon. And right now, Charles now is in a position, he's, I think, has 14 colonies that he is now head of state, including Australia and Canada, I believe, if yeah. I'm correct. It's time for him to modernize this monarchy, and it's time for him to provide reparations to all of those colonies. Okay, to provide reparations to Australia? 
to provide reparations to New Zealand. These are two of the most prosperous countries in the world. To provide reparations to Canada. Is that so Canada can then pass on the reparations to uh, so-called First Nations up there where they just had a horrible case where a number of people living in one of the First Nations were killed in a stabbing rage by two career criminals who had not been properly dealt with uh, by their, uh, what we would call here, tribal authorities uh, in Canada's First Nations authorities. In any event, here's the list of the Commonwealth realms that exist today. These are not colonies. They are all former colonies. At one point or another, they were colonized by Britain, but they are fully independent countries that make their own decisions. King Charles, uh, when he uh, even is formally crowned, he is already officially king. He is right now King Charles. He's not King-elect Charles. He has been known that this moment would come with the fall of London Bridge. London Bridge was the code name for Elizabeth and the plans that had been made for her passing. But in any event, the the 14 other nations of the Commonwealth are Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Jamaica, the Bahamas, Grenada, Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, which are a mess right now. They're having a huge crisis there because uh, they're flirting with China and drawing closer to China's orbit. Uh, Tuvalu, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Belize, Antigua and Barbuda, uh, St. Kitts and Nevis, that's uh, the home ground of Alexander Hamilton. And, uh, okay, okay, you're talking about a number of Caribbean nations, uh, one nation on the mainland of Central America, Belize, and uh, the the idea that uh, these nations would want to leave the Commonwealth because they need to to do that to uh, have their economic freedom. I mean, it's absurd. They, they remain as members of the Commonwealth because it's helpful to them. Uh, there is a uh, uh, it's it's very much like the European Union except with less obligations and less interference than the European Union had. And especially with uh, Brexit uh, having taken place, it, it does enhance some of the prestige and the influence of Great Britain. But the idea that uh, King Charles is going to exert any more powerful actual rule over any of these nations is absurd. The other thing is that when she talks about reparations, uh, Britain was, even more than the United States, the leading source of the anti-slavery movement that rid the world of the crime of slavery in the course of a hundred years which is one of the great achievements in all of British history. And no one is mentioning that. Uh, uh, Wilbur Wilberforce, William Wilberforce, the great anti-slavery parliamentary uh, crusader, helped uh, the British uh, military 
become a force against slave trading. Britain was never a leading slave trading nation, but it was without question the leading nation, yes, even ahead of the United States. The first anti-slavery society was here. But uh, Britain was a nation that was formally opposed to slavery some 40 years before we were, or, or anybody else. And that acknowledgement ought to be uh, mentioned, it seems to me, as some kind of legacy for the royal family. More on what the royal family means and what the transition means from queen to king. Coming up. of uh, Queen Elizabeth II, and uh, it, people have recalled, a number of people, how it's extraordinary that in, in Britain there have been three uh, remarkable, remarkable monarchs, three remarkable sovereigns, uh, queens of England, at a time when men dominated everything, who each presided over what could be called an era. Queen Victoria, who had the longest reign in British history, longest effective reign. Uh, King George III, uh, you, you could say he reigned for 60 years, at, at least officially, but during much of that, his son was the Prince Regent and actually ran the country because... King George III was in an insane asylum for many of the last years of his life. That's actually the subject of a very fine film from some years ago called The Madness of King George. But uh, the Queen Victoria was remarkable and beloved around the world. And again, she was the mother of 10 children, and uh, in, including people who ended up... Uh, uh, marrying into uh, other dynasties like the Hohenzollerns, the dynasty that governed uh, Prussia and then Germany when it was a united Germany, and uh, the Romanovs in uh, in in Russia, uh, the, uh, the Tsarina of Russia, the wife of the Tsar, who was ended up being killed by the communists, was a granddaughter of Queen Victoria, and uh, all of this is quite amazing the history of it but the fact that Victoria gave rise to the term the Victorian age because she was despite her lack of political power she was such a, um, a profound influence and actually was extraordinarily helpful in promoting uh, her favorite politician her great Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli who is recalled as one of the greatest of uh, all British leaders. And then, of course, being the greatest of all British leaders, there really has been no king or queen or prime minister to compare with the remarkable success of Queen Elizabeth I. Uh, and, of course, we know her partially because she was a great fan and promoter of William Shakespeare. And... Uh, she gave rise to the first Elizabethan era, 
which saw the miraculous defeat of the Spanish Armada, in which uh, Elizabeth actually dressed up in, in armor and rode a horse into the front of uh, the, the, the seashore, the battle where they were going to be fighting the, this great Spanish navy, and personally inspired the troops. Uh, she was a remarkable person, and uh, and again, gave rise to the idea that that was the Elizabethan age, just like they had the Victorian era, and people are trying to say now that this will be known as the uh, second Elizabethan age. It, it won't, uh, partially because the transition that was made in the first Elizabethan era was, that was partially uh, England going from being a uh, a second-rate power, uh, really on the outside of everything that was going on in Europe. During uh, the uh, Elizabethan era, the first one, uh, Britain became a, a world power, particularly a naval power. It was the real beginning of Britannia rules the seas. And uh, it made... Uh, Britain a, a, a vastly more significant player on the world stage. That has not been the, the case for this Queen Elizabeth. I mean, clearly the, the British Empire had already largely begun to dissolve before Elizabeth took the throne in 1952. Uh, there had already been independence granted to India and to Pakistan with tragic results, by the way. I mean, for people who are dreaming that the departure of the British would bring a new era of peace and harmony and progress, there were literally over a million people who died in the independence riots between India and Pakistan, between Muslims and Hindus in India. And uh, uh, that that's why the, the one-sided commentary about the terrible legacy of the British Empire, of the British colonizers, is so very, very tiresome and foolish. And now two of the leading cable networks, CNN and MSNBC, both had their little contributions to some of the stupidity and excess that has been on the air about marking this milestone in world history. Uh, for instance, there was an anchor named Zane Asher on CNN who said this uh, concerning, again, that whole idiot issue of reparations. This is clip eight. Real anger among some that, that she did not apologize for the actions of the empire building. Mm -hmm. But the new monarch can't. I mean, there are things now, the question will be, what will King Charles do? What may be said that wasn't said? I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether um, this sort of Commonwealth experiment survives the new king. I mean, I, ha I, have, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I think that, you know, you saw last year um, Barbados, for example, removing the queen as head of state. You are seeing growing calls for republicanism in various other sort of Commonwealth, Commonwealth nations, especially in the Caribbean. And I think it's this idea that there is now an understanding of how much money the royal family may have made from slavery, um, their involvement in colonialism, and there are calls uh, for reparations, right? And mm -hmm. even if the reparations are unlikely to happen, you sort of do get this sense that, you know, it's unfortunate that there's been no apology. And that's what people really do take issue with, I think, at this point in time. 
Okay, there have been countless apologies and countless statements by the British government, countless statements by the royal family. And again, you cannot talk about the British history with slavery without talking about the British history of anti-slavery, which is noble. And uh, there was a unique explanation from an MSNBC contributor. And this, the uh, other, I think, foolish comment, this is from uh, Richard Stengel on MSNBC. He's a political analyst and a uh, former undersecretary of state during the Obama administration. Listen. And I also would pay tribute to Queen Elizabeth for her unrivaled service and dedication. But it was her great, 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 great grandfather, George III, who we rebelled from to start the United States of America. You played a, a clip of her speaking in Cape Town in 1947 right. in South Africa. Right. That's the year apartheid took effect in South Africa. They, that was something that British colonialism ushered in. British colonialism, which she presided over for all these years, was, had a terrible effect on, on much of the world. It's something that people uh, revolt from. And I, I have to say, to the, your earlier question, why, why are news, American news networks uh, dedicating all of this time to Queen Elizabeth's funeral? I think it's a good question. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think it's something, there's a weakness in the American character that still yearns for that era of hereditary privilege, which is the very thing that, that we escaped from. Okay, uh, basically what people were escaping from was taxation uh, without representation. And what they were escaping from was people were trying to interfere with what had already been very well-established governments. And this is one of those things, if you go to the Medved History Store and you read The Coming of the Revolution, uh, I think it will correct a lot of the mistakes that people make about what caused the American Revolution. It was a profoundly conservative revolution in this regard, and it's important as part of Elizabeth's legacy for us to actually remember this and to remember it accurately is it was not a question of uh, the the uh, British keeping Americans in chains and suppressing American democracy because one of the remarkable things is each one of the 13 colonies had independent governments that were functioning on their own where people felt close to the government that established there locally. What happened was after the French and Indian War and all of the money that the Crown had spent, they tried to squeeze money out of those semi-independent governments already. And what people rose to defend was the power of keeping government close to the people, which still is a cause that uh, I think uh, can mobilize and has mobilized Americans to maintain the independence and the organizing principle, government through consent of the governed, which uh, makes unique this greatest nation on God's green earth.